Fear the Walking Dead, the podcast, an unofficial discussion of the news and events surrounding Fear the Walking Dead with Quinn Warner, Stephen Payne, Bruce McGee. I'm Bruce McGee. I'm Steve Payne. I'm Quinn Warner. And this is the Fear the Walking Dead podcast. Uh, We're recording this for September 1st, 2015. Welcome back. So what are we talking about this week, Quinn? All right. Finally, episode two aired on Sunday night after much anticipation. (laughs) I know. I'm really excited. I look forward to it all week. Well, and I did too, and you know, there was a lot of hate out there on the internet mm-hmm. after the first episode, but I didn't really share it, and uh, yeah. we were talking about this before, we kind of were anticipating that the first episode would lay the groundwork, but I really thought they started bringing the heat this week. Oh yeah, I think so, and it's been only going to get better, so I'm ready. Bring on the gore. <laughs> Bring on the gore. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I like I like the way that civilization is, to a degree, resilient. Like, uh, they lost the power, but then the power came back, and they lost the phones, and then the phones came back, and it wasn't just a simple, okay, well, that's over with, it's no more. You know, it's it's a process of pullout. Mm-hmm. Um, the community, community, too, right? Because they, they're on the street... Uh, the the stepdad and and one of his kids, I guess, and then they you know they're trying to get away from the crowd that is starting to rampage, and then they get that other family to take them into that barber shop. So it's a kind right. of an impromptu, it's sort of an impromptu community. And you wonder how long they're going to be stuck in that barber shop. <laughs> I'm hoping not. Hopefully, it'll resolve itself by uh, next week's episode. At least that's what I'm thinking. They won't be there for too long. I know, and to my way of thinking, the timeline so far is we're about on the the night of the second full day. Like the kid woke up in the morning, let's say it's a Monday morning. And then they had the Monday night where they couldn't see what was going on uh, on on the road. And then the next day, they go to school and school lets out. So to me, this is like Tuesday night of the... If it, if it all started on a Monday, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's documentary style, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, um, I texted this to Quinn earlier, but I read a pretty in-depth article arguing that the time frame is winter of 2012 or perhaps later. But, you know, the iPhones they were looking at, kind of like we did last week, uh, iPhones have the wider base to them than the modern, than the current five, but they were, you know, iPhone fours. So that would be a couple of years back, I guess three years now. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about, um, you know, the first week the zombies were a metaphor for drug abuse. You know, the, the first zombie was the drugged out girlfriend. And I'm going to add sex and drugs because <laughs> there has been a lot on the internet about that hot zombie girlfriend. Um, uh, what was her name? I can't remember it. But you know the one I'm talking about. What's that? 
Hot Zombie Girlfriend? Yeah, you know. From the very first episode. Oh, from the very first one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's been what the buzz has been about. um, And, uh, you know, she's already dead by the time. (laughs) Anyway, our teenagers (laughs) are taking drugs and having sex. Um, And uh, so, you know, that's bringing on the zombie apocalypse. I was wondering what you thought the metaphor was this week. Mm. It's hard to say. I think that um, I think that again, it's just kind of a um, it's acting as a metaphor for uh, like today's society's current um, like discordance. You saw right, a lot all of its uh, all of its ails. Yeah, it's kind of like a um, an umbrella sort of like uh, in this most recent episode, um, they touched on really really positively. I thought uh, they touched on police brutality, which mm-hmm. is a big problem today. Yes, um, that's where I was going with it. Um, yeah. I was thinking, um, you know, this might be our Zombie Lives Matter episode, uh, because the folks in the community, which is Hispanic, that community, but they're mm-hmm. all upset mm-hmm. because the police have gone out there and they've shot somebody, and they think, um, you know, uh, un- unnecessarily, um, but um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, I have to say, did a very affirming job of that. It, you know, because in this one it looked like they're saying the police are right; they they know what they're doing. They're shooting the people who need to be shot, and and uh, you should just go back inside. You're making things worse. Uh, so maybe I'm too negative about it. What do you think? It's kind of a yeah. I mean, there's there's sort of with certain with certain segments of society today. I mean, there's this unquestioning acceptance of authority, mm-hmm. uh, with the police being one of the agents of authority of, of the state. Uh, but but you have these other these other people that probably are going to come along later on that are the the symbols of the authority. And it, it, I mean, to me, you're getting this idea that the, the authority has to be questioned, particularly in a Democratic Republic like we are, but I mean, authority has to be questioned. You can't just uncritically accept everything that the authority says. Well, um, kind of like um, how our society has progressed uh, from the past. Uh, years ago, you would have this perfect idea of police officers standing in every corner, directing you where mm-hmm. to go, and keeping you safe and everything. And over Your time, friend, Officer Joe. <laughs> Right. Over time, we've gained this really, really heavy distrust of police officers and law enforcement in general. And I think that as the episodes go on, that's going to be apparent in the series, too. I think that mm-hmm. they're going to realize, hold on, the police and the government are hiding something from us. They're not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Well, like uh, exactly. the, the nerd kid who uh, has survived for the first couple of days, mm-hmm. um, you know, last week he was saying, uh, right, the government's going to tell you what's going on and then uh, today, this this week, uh, Kim, what is her uh, name in the show? You know, the, the main school counselor lady. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't remember. I don't have my list in front of me. But you know the one, the yeah. mom, the family mom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she's saying, well, you know, just go home. I'm sure you won't need that much food and I'm sure they've got a plan, and he said, "Exactly." Yeah, the, the same people that told you what was going on—they have a plan. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's the uncritical acceptance of authority once again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just really it's it's almost unthinking acceptance of authority. You know? Well, um, I'm 
I'm beginning to love that kid, and he's got zombie meat written all over him, you know. And I think oh, you mean you mean Tobias, the the chubby kid that was yeah, hanging out yeah, in the cafeteria? Yeah. Yes. The um, <clears throat> you know he's he's kind of the um, maybe the voice of the narrator almost. Like uh, this is this is what to expect in the zombie apocalypse. He was telling her. Well, and so I and so I wrote down some quotes. One of which really, well, all of these kind of capture it. But one of these is a great quote you and I were talking about a couple of days ago, Bruce, when he says we're about to step into a world of shit. Uh, the kid said that. Huh? The kid said that. Yeah, the, yeah. Tobias said that. It's I a great quote. It. We're we're about to step into a world of shit. Well, I did catch her. said when civilization ends, it ends fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seemed to be. <clears throat> You know, the way our civilization is so complicated and interconnected and, um, you know, we're at the end of a very, very long pipeline bringing us our food, uh, supplies of all kinds of, you know, I've got a month's worth of medicine for my high blood pressure on the day I buy it. Yeah. You know, and if that pipeline goes away, my blood pressure goes up and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be the canary in the coal mine if um, if it all collapses tomorrow. I'm going to start getting sick, you know. Well, look um, at him having to break into the kid's locker. Was it Nick's locker, I guess, to get his his uh, meds out of the locker, you remember? No, that was uh, where they had confiscated all this stuff. Right. But, I mean, she's breaking, in, she's breaking into it to get it out so she can, right. I, I guess, presumably to bring it home, you see. Um, right, and the yeah. kid was stocking up on all the food and then, after the zombie principal attacked him, he wound up leaving it behind anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he kind of wasted it. But he did make it out alive, you know, and that seems to be uh, the end result of a lot of these. I like how um, as she was dropping Tobias off at his house, she was saying, like, you know, there's room, there's food, you should stay with us until your uncle gets back or whatever. Um, I think that... That's definitely a big theme in this series, and in most, like, zombie TV shows and movies, is that community is, like, your biggest helper. Like, there's strength right. and you've got to stick together. Yeah, and we're all in this together. That's the claim being made, sure. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're Glenn, all in this remember, together. Do you remember who the mom did not say that to? <laughs> Come on over to our house. We'll take care of you until your parents get back from Las Vegas. Yeah. Well, he had already been bitten. They oh, bit yeah. him and they saw the bite, and I think they had put two and two together by that point. Yeah, Quinn and I they were did. having a pre-show discussion about um, <laughs> whether they would have dumped, ditched the sister's boyfriend if it happened to be a white boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. You know, at this point, they they have a suspicion of what may happen. Right. Yeah. You know that. Okay, but you put him in a you know utility room and lock the door until you see what goes on or something. But you know, here's this kid; he's almost part of the family. The parents are, you know, how, how far away is Vegas from Los Angeles? You know, <laughs> um, they aren't coming back, right? Um, yeah. There's no way to get back from the interstate. We've already seen that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they see. They know his parents aren't coming back. They know they're leaving him here to die. Um, and I don't know. And if you look at the original Walking Dead series, the way we interact 
with those who have died and come back. It's a really complicated kind of thing. You've got the governor who keeps his dead daughter in a closet. You know, occasionally lets her out and combs her hair. He's got her in a muzzle. Then uh, Michonne has her two brothers uh, that she's chopped their arms off and their uh, jaws off so they can't attack her. And she's taking them around with her when we first meet her. It's really, you know, hard to let go of people you love. And and this one, they just kind of dump them and don't look back. And I'm not sure if that'll... Uh, this is this is reminiscent. I was looking up in my um, Leonard Maltin Guide to Movies on TV. Uh, this is the older edition. It's 2013. But but I'm looking up in here a classic film, Lifeboat, and this is a, a Hitchcock film. And it, this reminds me of Hitchcock. Uh, the, the, this film, Lifeboat. You have these survivors aboard this lifeboat, and they're going to yeah. essentially have to get rid of some of them to, so that the rest of them can survive. I mean, that's the, the premise of the film. And it goes into some really serious moral questions. And this 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 series is shaping up, I think, to do kind of the same thing. Right. You know, who's it's in the lifeboat. And that may be what they were thinking, Quinn. Like, we can take in a guy who's healthy, mm-hmm. um, if a bit nerdy. You can take in somebody that's like, going to have to expend more, res- more resources than you would have to on a healthy person. Right. So they've already, like... I mean, they know that there is an illness going around because yeah. the illness has been reported, and so I think that there's just a general distrust of anybody that sneezes at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they've seen it. You know, they saw the uh, drug dealer last week, mm-hmm. how he acted after he'd been shot. And they're, they're trying to figure out the mechanism just like we are because, um, you know, it's not just being bitten, but certainly everybody that gets bitten dies unless you do a quick amputation like they did with uh, Herschel. Well, now, how, how many months or years out then, so is the parent series, uh, The Walking Dead? Is it? Not very. Those seasons don't cover a lot of ground. They've had time for um, the sheriff's wife to get pregnant, have a baby, and the baby to be a toddler. Um, so, you know, two and a half years maybe. Yeah. So it's really just a short. It's not like it's nothing like ten years or even five oh, years. No, it's, no, pretty, no. it's a very short period of time. Well, and if you look, there was a web series in the uh, original Walking Dead where they did a flashback to this woman that was trying to survive um, the initial crash, and she had an old flip phone. You know, the, the kind of phone that it was a cell phone, but it flips open. It's not a yeah. of any kind. Mm-hmm. So uh, you assume that. At that point, they were thinking maybe 2005. That's thinking like you know, maybe early 2000s, yeah. Yeah, when the when the original um, when the original comic graphic novel came out. Is it a comic book or a graphic novel? I have, I it's a series, isn't it, Quinn? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a series, right? I would call it a graphic novel. Okay. Anyway, the, they may have collected it as a graphic novel. That's what well, I'm it's wondering. It's a series of them. You know, it's yeah. still going on, but anyway. Uh, in this in this series, though, it's pretty much I would say basically current. You know, it's not old technology. They're watching YouTube on iPad. Yeah. Neither of those was much around ten years ago. Mhm. That's not too far off. So I think they're fudging a little, you know, for ease. But also something you said when we first were talking about it, Quinn, mm. and that is. Um, this isn't really scary if it's 
concept in the past uh, because it's happened, and we know it hasn't happened in our world. But mm-hmm. this could be happening now. That's what they're telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a ca- it makes it a cautionary tale of a sort, I would think. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. This is something we're susceptible to. We're not just safe and remote from it. Which makes it even more unsettling. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. You know, look at all the fear right now, just about the the Greek economic meltdown um, mm-hmm. that could cascade into being another worldwide meltdown, a la 2008. Yeah. Uh, thank, in, in their case, thanks to austerity economics, austerity you know pol- economic policies and so forth, it's been exacted. Exa- I can't even say it exacted against the Greek people and their economy. Although, although I'm not sure how many uh, Americans are following uh, the Greek meltdown. Oh no, I mean it's, it's uh, politics but, nerds but like we are. In, but I mean in Europe, you know, they're all attuned to it over there. But I'm not sure about our folks um, being that into it. Have you been following it, Quinn? I've heard very, very like brief nuggets of information about it. Right. But that's a there you're dealing with an economic apocalypse and an economic you know cataclysm yeah. or whatever. Um, and one that's brought on by people. I think that's right. the point. You know, in this case, um, you know, to me, I don't know. I'd like to hear more of your side of the whole uh, zombie lives matter, Quinn, because you know I've got a particular viewpoint, but it may not. Certainly not the only one. Uh, um, I think that, like, I mean, a part that really stuck out to me when I was watching it, as far as, like, elaborating more on the police brutality aspect, um, at the point where they've already shot the homeless man and the young people are, like, outside of the police tape and they're kind of protesting what's right. going on, um, the police officer is standing there and then this young woman comes out and to me she didn't have any evidence of like being bitten or anything she didn't look Mm. like she was bloody or gross she was just shambling and they just immediately shot her in the head and I think that's kind of a narrative on what's kind of happening today with people Mm -hmm. being shot and gunned down and restrained and arrested and killed in prison but aren't even armed or doing anything wrong but was there a good reason to kill this person. Uh, right. cause she wasn't doing the whole <laughs> you couldn't see her eyes but but it may be that the police did, you know, because they were closer. Um right. so and they might so have it been does leave it open that. it does leave it open um to debate and you know, to, certainly to the people standing behind the tape. It just looks oh, like yeah. gratuitous violence. But for us it makes it kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Because we know what shambling means. Oh yeah. <laughs> to us, we would know, but I think that if I were a person in the show and in that situation, I would be outraged. Right. And especially like thinking about it as a person outside of that television show, and thinking about this as a sort of cautionary tale, sort of thing, like you were saying. I think that um, definitely, if that sort of thing happened, where people were becoming like zombified, more or less, I think well, that. Police police officers would definitely kind of jump the gun, pun not intended. <laughs> well, I mean, they know that if they get bitten, they die. And so, you know, they're already seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, like you see this one police officer at his car, and they're treating him for a bite, you know. I don't yeah. know if they know, but we know he's dead. Right, it's a death um, sentence. That's yeah. interesting, though, that 
a police officer gets bitten and he's taken to the back of the car and treated and cleaned and all that. But as soon as a homeless person is bitten, he's just immediately shot in the head. Well, Same right, goes right, for that right. weird punk girl that comes shambling out that doesn't even have a bite right. on her. Right. I like that. Yeah. I like your analysis. Yeah, yeah that that inconsistent treatment of other human beings. You know, yeah. and, and there there comes the moral the moral questions again. You know, and who are we to say, you know, that some group should be treated essentially preferentially I mean, in comparison to, to another group? Go back to classic rhetoric for a minute. <laughs> What's that? Uh, go back to classic rhetoric for a minute in Aristotle, and one of the legs of an argument is called ethos, mm-hmm. uh, where we get the word ethic, but it's, it's broader than that. It has to do with character. And do you trust this character of the authority figure to be doing what's in the interest of the society at large? Or are they just looking after themselves? Um, and I think the last year with the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, this stuff's been coming a while. It goes back at least 20 years to Rodney King, and 50 years to the Civil Rights Movement. But, you know, we've kind of got a critical mass now that uh, in many, many situations where force is used, they're going to be the chorus of concerned citizens with their iPhones. And mm-hmm. stuff that never got believed before. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's on TV. How can you deny it? Um, mm-hmm. And so that hurt the authority of the authority figures. That people don't trust them the way they might want to. And I think that's part of this episode too. They say, "Wait, well, something's going on here. You don't understand." And it's just bullshit. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's brought it's, so, it's brought it crashing home. Really, um, right? I mean, it's. Thanks to the technology. Right, and the trust has been uh, squandered in previous misbehavior. I don't know. Quinn, how old were you at 9-11, the original, you know, 2001? 2001. Um, Six. (laughs) Okay, so you don't remember it all that well. Not too terribly well. I remember the reactions. Yeah, before that, the New York police had a pretty horrible reputation. Uh, and then you had this, you know, and they re-showed it for months and years, and people fleeing the building while cops and firefighters went in. And um, it was hard to think of to the police force in any other terms but heroes for a very long time. Yeah. But that's gone now. You know, what, you know, yeah, I saw that when I was six, but this is what I've been watching the last several years people's iPhones and how you're acting out in the community, and I don't like it. The circumstances seem to be conditioning what's going on, at least on a certain level, I think. Yeah, Yeah, you know, and um, it's changed the way a lot of people view the authorities. And and I think this was always the case Um, when we were, you know, for the Minority communities. I've always seen this side of it all too clearly because yeah. I live it every day. Um, but for those of us who are privileged to live in the, you know, like I'm a 47 year old straight white man, yeah, I see a different different side of the authority. They treat me differently when I get stopped, right? Absolutely. <laughs> 
I've I've been uh I've been profiled uh because of the type of car that I drive. I uh, What I kind of drive, car do you drive, Quinn? Well, I used <laughs> to drive a white nineteen ninety five Grand Marquis. It looks like the old uh cop cars. Oh cool. And um it's stereotyped as a car that black people drive. So uh, I was driving it. I've got stopped a lot, even when I wasn't doing anything wrong. True, I did get stopped when I was, like, speeding or something. But even when I wasn't speeding, <laughs> I would still get stopped. And it was they just wanted to take was, a look-see. There was a pattern. It would kind yeah. of... I got stopped, like, three or four times in the span of, like, two months around the same area. And I think that by that time, word got around other police officers that kind of said, hey... If you see a Grand Marquis with, like, Louisiana Tech sticker on it driving around, don't worry about it. It's just a <laughs> small white girl. You're right, so, you're right, you're right. But, no, no, we definitely see a different side of uh, things, especially the way that we're treated by police officers. Well, um, you know. You know, they used to haul over. Um, Bruce, I don't know if this went on when you were in Tech, but when, when I was in Tech a few years later, I mean, they would pull over uh, – the local cops around here would pull over college kids, and, and they, they seem to be profiling really young people as well as African-American residents. I mean, they would haul those, you know, college-age kids well, over. Especially at a certain time of night, they think there may be alcohol involved. In, uh, right. So they're out there waiting, right? They are definitely yeah. profiling the test kids. Oh, yeah. Awesome source of cash for the parish. Sure, uh, absolutely. Um. Yeah, um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the themes of the show is, and, and even the authority figures who come across as sympathetic, you know, the two teachers, or the teacher mm-hmm. and the uh, counselor, um, you know, at this point they're mostly focused on their own family. You know, they've kind of dropped the, you know, I'll, I'll take my son. I'll take his mom, says, you know, we used to be married. Uh, maybe this kid that seems to know a lot, but it's not like they're out there trying to stop the whole thing. They're barely containing, you know, they can't even track down all their own kids, much less help mm-hmm. anybody else. Something I do wonder about, um, as far as the relationships among all the characters go, um, especially right now with... Um, the like main dad, I also forget his name, with him being holed up in the barber shop with his ex wife and his son, I wonder if among all of this apocalypse happening, if um his desire to kind of stick with like his like more or less like true family, quote unquote, like the mother of his son. Oh yeah. Like, I wonder if that's going to put a strain on his current relationship. No, superseded or whatever, yeah. It definitely could if they ever all get reunited. Um, Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Or maybe he'll just reestablish the old-fashioned patriarchy. (laughs) Several wives. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? I'm sure somewhere in the zombie apocalypse somebody's trying that trick. Oh, Um, I wonder, though, if he'll ever be introduced to... um, the father of the other set of children, the more or less like main set of children. Oh, I know. Oh, you haven't seen yeah. him yet. He's not even been mentioned, has he? No, not at all. 
I wonder from the um, – this sounds crazy, but I wonder if it's actually quite sane. The whole idea of the zombie just being kind of a, a playing out of the old idea of atavism, you know, reversion to savagery. Mm-hmm. Um, I because I had a student so. yesterday, one of, my, one of my one of my students, well, two days ago, two days ago actually, was talking about uh, the Avengers film, and he was talking about the, the, late, the latest one, Age of Ultron, which I mm-hmm. understand is very good. And I, I haven't seen it, and as I, as I made the remark, I, I, I own the first one, and I haven't even seen that one yet because I'm so busy now teaching <laughs> as well as writing the story that I'm writing. But but that being said, he, he got to talking about the Hulk, and I said, well, the Hulk is a is a modern day retelling of the Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde narrative. I mean, that's very clearly right. what Jack Kirby and Stan Lee were going back towards. But that, in turn, again, is a, is a classic tale of atavism, this reversion to savagery. So I'm wondering from that if if the whole zombie thing is kind of a, a form of atavism, albeit taken to a real extreme. It's like people with no, they're all id, and the id is all just hunger. Yeah, right. yeah. But it's not even the other normal things that people just unbridled appetite or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's uh, I think the whole thing about being a savage, as people think of them, is just someone that acts irrationally and only acts on what they desire. And that's what zombies are. Zombies, mm-hmm. rational thinking, they are just looking out for number one <laughs> as many brains as possible. <laughs> So I think that I think that um, humans are going to naturally be scared of that, like civilized human beings. Well, but it's one of those natural zombie zombitarian sort of zombitarian party. The effect of them is to destroy the very culture that created them. Um, You know, and we certainly have that going on in our country. Um, Mm -hmm. People that despise basically our civilization and take every opportunity they can to try to destroy it. They want to wreck it, right. Yeah. Yeah, they come on Sam Cedar all the time on the majority report and they debate him. <laughs> I mean, really, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I just that, that struck me, uh, like, like I said, two days ago when this uh, young guy was talking about the Hulk in that film, and I said, well, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously a, a version of, of the atavism kind of, Character and the atavism sort of ill, if you will. Well, uh, but then, he's an atavist with a heart of gold, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah. He's never going to randomly crush his girlfriend, you know. Uh, <laughs> Hope uh, smash, raw, raw, you know. But but then if you tie this to the this zombie apocalypse, I mean, really, those things are atavistic creatures as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most extreme form of it, maybe. It's, uh, it's interesting that we are so scared of zombies. It's almost like a, um, it kind of is like a throwback to uh, the collective unconscious, as first proposed by Carl Jung, um, kind of an inherited fear that we get from people that have lived thousands and thousands of years before us. Um, we are kind of conditioned to fear things that are less than us, less rational, um, you know, that there's the separation of souls that Aristotle proposed, the rationalistic and the animalistic. And so right. I think that maybe some of that plays into it, too. Some of that we're just naturally afraid of is mm. uh, things that are less rational than us and that can remind us of what we would be without our rational thinking. Well, and they still look human, but they're not. Like, they've lost mm-hmm. whatever it was that 
with that and that's part, the scariest you know, part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that at some point happened to me, and you know that's, that's what happens in death. But then these things have come back, and they're somehow reanimated mm-hmm. or continuing to kill. It's, it's a very primal. It's a very primal kind of thing, right? I mean, it's just, it's just... Well, there are diseases that more or less. Um, you know, make you act like a zombie, like you're in such high fever. Not not yeah. not eating people's faces off, but <laughs> kind of barely able to shuffle yeah. around and flat affect, uh, not much personality. Yeah. Um, you know, all those other things you think of. And also they're making you sick by shuffling by you. So mm-hmm. uh, there is that. That's, I think, why Ebola is so scary. Because it's one of those diseases like that. We um, humans have always been very averse to death being like out in the open. That's why we put our dead in boxes and then we put them in the ground and we cover them up with dirt so we don't have to look at them. Right. Before we did that, when we did, when we would leave dead people out in the open, they would give us diseases and things like that. Mm-hmm. We well, remember in the. In the epic of Gilgamesh, his friend Enkidu dies, and he can't be parted from him for a week, and then a worm falls out of his nose, you know, and it's this horrible scene. And, oh, my friend is becoming something else than what I knew. And this happens to zombies, too. They're literally rotting in front of you. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and they pointed out at the beginning of this series that these would be different because the zombies we see in Walking Dead, many of them have been around two, three years. Mm. They're well, and it's just South Georgia, you know, it's hot. Uh, the decomposition process is done on, but these are, you know, people that have just turned all of them yeah. in this show, so they're much closer to human looking and harder to tell. They're a little bit fresher. Yeah. <laughs> You have to get up close and look at them. <laughs> Their freshness rating is very high in comparison, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but it, yeah, and the other series, they stink horribly. There's no question you're in, near a zombie. Yeah. Uh, now, people are still turning. Whenever somebody dies, they turn. The people that have been turned a while. Uh, in the presence of mine zombies, apparently. Um right. Yeah, it's. I'm still. I'm curious, and I'm. I'm really jumping the gun here, but I'm really curious as to how they're going to explain the, the zombie infestation. You know, what is it going to be a biological agent or, a chemical agent or a supernatural agent or you know what's going to be the the cause of the, of there's, the whole outbreak. There's been nothing supernatural in the series to to this date. Um, so I'd be surprised if they took that turn, and considering the way that contagious. <clears throat> I don't think it's a chemical kind of thing, because what would be the mechanism to keep turning people? So I'm thinking mm-hmm. it's some kind of um, the biological agent. Or yeah, some kind of biological thing. Either. I'm not sure if we'll ever know exactly. No. What I think that probably they'll make an announcement over the media to the people that are still alive, and they'll say something. They might say that it's an infection or a virus or whatever but we can't really be sure that that's the truth, and which is, again, a commentary on today. How can right. you be so sure that the media is telling you everything you need to know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because it the might not. there to try to sell, you know, widgets to people. Um, mm-hmm. It's not there necessarily to inform us. That's why when you turn on the news these days, it's all Trump all the time because it's <laughs> a lot of cars. Um, you know, and um, he may well be one of the lesser important things going on in American <laughs> politics, except for what he represents. But right. you know, when's the last time you saw an equal treatment for Bernie Sanders, who actually has yeah. serious proposals about real problems and not something just made up? Which no. is kind of it's <clears throat> it's Hedge's culture of spectacle, you know, and, yeah. and Trump Trump represents that culture of spectacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he perfectly embodies it. And he may be the zombie that eats Fox News in the end. Uh, you know, he's, he's gotten this big feud with them, but they just can't win. Because, you know, he'll say, well, you know, Megan Kelly, she's not a billionaire. She's a loser. I'm a billionaire. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I noticed that statement, too, because the statement itself embodies not only Trump, but that whole ethic, that whole might, might makes right, and the whole, you know, greed is good at, you know, Gordon Gecko, you know. Right, it's, you know, it's that, the um, uh, deification of a certain kind of success. Right. You know, what and is, what is Donald Trump is a zombie? What's that? What if Donald Trump is a zombie? That would explain the hair, Quinn. True. It definitely looks like the hair of somebody that's been rotting in the ground for a few years. Or maybe he has a zombie orangutan on his head. (laughs) That's closer to the color, yeah. (laughs) There's a funny funny image going around Facebook. I've seen a few times about Trump, your cat. You know, they have the cats. And I love cats anyhow, but there's the cats with the Trump hairstyle, which is pretty hysterical. (laughs) Well, I've seen that, yes. It's hysterical. I hope they're photoshopping that. That seems like it would be wantonly cruel. (laughs) That's just too funny. (laughs) But yeah, there's a you know again. uh, uh, Have y'all been watching to see what the ratings of the of the series have been looking like? Do they look like the first episode was the most watched debut uh, premiere episode in the history of cable? Wow! Wow! I'm just hoping that uh, people will come back. Yeah, yeah. If, they, if it wasn't enough excitement the first time, because I thought last night really ratcheted it up. Did you guys? Think? Mm-hmm. I think so, definitely. It was a good, um, a good crescendo, and I think that it's going to continue that pattern. Because you know, the first night they were just trying to let us know who these characters are, so you kind mm-hmm. of care mm-hmm. about them. Um, one of those establishing kind of episodes, really. You know. Yeah, and in the other episode, you got this guy waking up in the in the hospital with you know a city full of zombies around him. So it just you know it's off to a fast start mm-hmm. uh, because if he doesn't move fast, he's going to be dead. And uh, we'll figure all this stuff out later. Just get away from here for now. But well, it's your it's your classical technique. It's your classical technique again, too, Bruce. It's the, the inmediate rest. You know, the, in the middle right. of things, you're in the midst of things. It's, in fact, this this student of mine said this the other day about this latest Avengers film that it opened up in the middle of an action sequence, supposedly. And again, I haven't seen it, but I said, well, that's an ancient technique that goes back to the time of the of the ancient epics, of the classical Greek epics, like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. 
And this one violates the rule by beginning at the beginning of things. Exactly. Yeah. And so people are a little frustrated with it because we expect you to get off to a quicker start. But I did like the fact that we had, like last week, your favorite couple <laughs> was that kid and uh, the daughter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if you didn't have time to like him, then it's not much of a loss when they leave him lying in the bed waiting to die. Yeah. Um, but here's this kid we kind of like. He's a beautiful kid. He's got dreams. He's going to be an artist. Oh, well, your, your parents will be home soon. and <laughs> Our dog went to see a farmer in the in the country, and he's going to be a lot happier out there. <laughs> that was a you know that was a powerful scene though when he drew the flower on the kids on the on the girlfriend's wrist right took the marker or whatever it was and drew that flower that was really powerful to me mm-hmm. I think that was the first week if I recall right right but then she touched it didn't she she looked at her, the right. inside of her forearm this time and touched mm-hmm. it um it, and and probably won't want to wash the thing off I mean really without being too flippant about it I mean it's it's a memory of him. It's a legacy of, of this boyfriend. I'm going to go ahead and um, tattoo it on there. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going yeah. to make a prediction now for the course of the series. Uh, I predict that the heart that was drawn on her wrist uh, is going to be symbolic. And as long as it's there, she's not going to, like, in whatever zombie escapades they have, like, trying to survive... She's not going to bother, like, trying to find romance or anything like that because she's going to be very hung up on her dead boyfriend. Right. Um, but as she starts developing feelings for another person, the mark is probably going to start fading away. Ooh. And then probably when it disappears, she's going to actually pursue things, you know. I'm, I'm calling it now. I'm making that prediction. Should be so, ready for... You know, I, I said that last week about just their relationship that it had, you know, possible heartbreak written all over it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, really, you, you can were... kind of tell. You jinxed it, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've seen enough of these things, but I mean, really, they right. they did not they did not play it for cliches. Really, I mean, they were, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, it was a really powerful moment. This young couple, it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet esque sort of you know love affair in a way. Well, especially you know a generation ago, when I was growing up, it would have literally been illegal in right, a lot right, right. of places in our country to have an interracial couple like that, and it's still mm-hmm. looked at askance in certain places today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could probably do all right in us, but I don't know. I need to talk to somebody that's been through that. But, um, you know, there are a lot of places in our state that aren't that advanced. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, know well, I, I, I drove in from New Orleans. Uh, when did I get back? Friday? Yeah, last Friday. Okay, yeah, I came in Friday, and I knew I was back in uh, North Louisiana when I drove into my uh, parking lot for my apartment complex, and it was a big old pickup truck with a big old rebel flag <laughs> on the back of it, you know, on a pole. They'd been driving you, around town with it, I guess. You know, to change that the dynamic again, what if the couple, that is to say the, the girl and the boy, or the young woman and young man, what if they had instead been a same-sex couple, right? right. Either a lesbian yeah. couple or a, they have or a gay had, couple. That would have been an interesting dynamic to me. They, um, they have had some of that in Walking Dead. Yeah. So it's not totally homophobic, although usually one or both of the couple gets killed off, but 
that happens with all the couples, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing about this series. It's very ferocious about the people that it will jettison. You know, it doesn't matter how much... I, I guess the main star has to say, but who knows? Does it give you time to develop? I mean, I mean you as in the, the viewers... But does it give the viewers time to develop relationships with them where they really care about the oh, yeah. characters? Or? Yeah, like Herschel was kind of the spiritual center of the show for several years. I mean, they just chopped his head off. Um, wow. You know, and then they had his zombie head drowned, and somebody from his group came along and just, you know, put a sword through his head to put him out of his misery, you know. Uh, but it's not like a gratuitous thing where they introduce him, say, an episode one of that particular season, and then they kill him off in episode two, or episode three, in other words. I would there are think. A, it's, it's nothing like that, is it? There are a lot of those, too. <clears throat> so, uh, like, you know, we lost the principal last night. He was a pretty cool fellow. Yeah. yeah um, who else have we lost so far of the main cast? I guess the uh, the, the, boyfriend, the boyfriend, of course. The boyfriend, yeah. yeah. And the principal. Um, anybody else? The drug dealer. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The drug dealer. And the girlfriend. And that, the she first girlfriend. Before yeah. we got there. Right. Now, somebody called her patient zero, but she's really not. Yeah, I don't think this so. This has been breaking out in other places across the country already. So, you know, mm-hmm. She's just the first one we see. Right. Um, I would like to switch gears just, just yeah. slightly. Um, let's talk about Nick. Oh, yes. Everybody's favorite. <laughs> My favorite character. <laughs> um, Nick and his skimpy shirt. That was a real popular thing on the Internet this last week. Too. It was. <laughs> um, I really, really appreciate that they, like, actually acknowledged that a drug user was going to go through withdrawals. Yeah, yeah. That was really, really nice. I'm glad they didn't pretend that it was just going to be okay. And how about that seizure that he had when his sister was about to leave the house? Did he manufacture that? It seems like he may have. It's possible, um, but it also could have been triggered by that amount of stress and that worry that he's experiencing for right. going out. Yeah, because if you leave, you're not coming back. I like that. Yeah. He knows Do, um, what, what, is, what are the causes of his seizures? In other words, are they drug abusers? Okay, I didn't know if it was that or if he had epilepsy or something. So it really was from drug drug use or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. drugs. And, and you know, if he survives through the show, that's going to be a major thing. They'll find yeah. some drugs. And will he take them or won't he? And some oh, yeah. episodes he won't take them. And then there'll be the special episode where he falls off the wagon. And <laughs> yeah, he'll have relapses and things yeah. like that. Like they have a zombie apocalypse intervention. Yeah, I was thinking that, yeah, zombie rehab or something. <laughs> and um, now she's, the mother has this stash of drugs that she's going to use to slowly, like, wean him off. And eventually right. he, I guess the goal is for him to be completely clean. Right. But, of course, she's not going to cut him off cold turkey. But, again, I wonder, like, how well that rationing will actually go. I know she has right. some symptoms right now, but who knows, he might, like, get his hands on the stash and just take all of it, and then he's going to really be in trouble when he's out. That's right. 
I like that. And that goes back when, when she goes and gets the drugs out of his locker. They, she gets the crowbar or whatever it is, or anyhow she breaks them out that, of the locker. That's not his personal student locker. That's a police locker where... Right. Or oh, oh, yes, where it's like a, probably an evidence locker, isn't it? Or yeah. it is. She, she has all I'm these guess. evidence bags, and they haven't processed it yet. And so she she gets that out. I mean, it really shows you the length to which people go when they love somebody. You know, they yeah. love their family members, or they love their friend, or whoever their companion, or whoever. Yeah. If you just kind of like them, you just leave them lying in the bed to die. <laughs> you just get yeah. sorry, not gnawed on by a zombie. <laughs> I cannot get over that, guys. I thought I was going to be able to move on, but I'm just stuck on that. Uh, it's very unfortunate. You would think that they would kind of help him out, especially because he's, he's a kid. Like, he can't yeah. really do much of anything. But you could... Try. They didn't even, you know, let's wiggle his toes some and see what happens. You know, yeah. Get away from him. Let's get out of here. And uh, um, I don't know. I, I what was I watching when that was going on? Oh, oh my God. Um, I was listening to all these stories of people that had lived through Katrina. Oh yeah. And, they're telling it ten years out, and this guy's saying, you know, it's really hard to be, hard to get over that he'd been in the lower night floor and heard his neighbor screaming while he drowned, and mm. um, you know, just horrible, horrible stuff. And he said, and you know, I'm hardly getting over it. It's already been five years, and whoever's interviewing says ten years. It's been ten years, um, you know, and we saw the whole country. Abandon these uh, black and brown people and elderly people too in New Orleans and just spend days not doing anything. I don't Look know. at the, yeah, my story about my cousin. You know, she was a grant writer, or is a well, I don't know what she's doing now, but she was a grant writer at the time. And her next door neighbor was an elderly, you know, an elderly woman, and she she drowned is in the house. Is this in New Orleans? Yes, yeah, it was. Oh, it was wow. my cousin's little sister. Yeah, she's a little bit older than my sister is, but she. Her next door neighbor died by drowning in that house, and this was in the Lakeshore area. Or Lake, what is it called, Lakeshore, Lakeview? Anyhow, she was there right below Lake Pontchartrain, and she drowned in that house. And just nobody could get her out in time, I guess. But she, she, she was one of the victims of the storm. So you know, here we are. You know, and it's still a you know an unhealed wound on the American psyche that let things collapse like that and didn't do anything. Um. It was done, and I don't know. For me, somehow the two got merged in my head. You know, yeah. this is like Katrina all over again. I know at some level it's kind of ridiculous, but on another level, it's also okay. We're going to take the white kid and take him out of here, mm-hmm. and we're going to leave the black kid back to to drown. It's, you know, that happened ten years ago, and it's happening in the zombie apocalypse again. It's again. It's that people. Some people are disposable, right? I mean, that's the that's the moral yeah. thing coming up again. Some people are disposable. Some people are are more of a commodity than others. Frankly, I mean, this this is consumer capitalism, and it's worst. In, in a way. And there has been a critique of the first series that most of the major black characters get killed off rather quickly. Michonne is still with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other ones they may make it a while, maybe. Oh. Which is what we've talked about with climate change too. That that the the brown and black communities will be the ones that suffer the most, and poor communities as well, when when the sea level rises. Well, and in the twenty seven flood, was it nineteen twenty seven? Yeah, yeah. The flood 
you know, the city blues a levy to uh, flood the poor sections so that the more well-to-do sections would not be affected by flood. Um, and they, you know, the deal was they made the state federal government, well, you're going to have to pay these people, but they never did it. Yeah, the the ethic that ethic of the ends justify the means. You know, it's a really really shady kind of an ethic. And this is hedges again with the what, is it, what do you call them, Bruce? The sacrifice zones of capitalism or something like that. Yeah, he does call, call it that. But yeah, and, you know, Orleans became one of those places where you know we're going to get rid of this inconvenient population. Basically, every yes, consumer, and uh, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm uh, transferring too much to the show. No, it makes you wonder <laughs> the way, you know, to follow up on Quinn's prediction of a few minutes ago, a really grim prediction, it makes you wonder how, as this series develops, if they will delve into the idea of, you know, you know, anything from, you know, communities of color and or communities of poverty to see how those communities deal with or how they are dealt with, unfortunately, well, in the wake of this crisis. One. We're already seeing one, the riot. Right. You know, that's but, one, but, um, they don't trust the police are trying to do what's good for them and so they're rioting and they're actually making things worse for themselves by doing so. So so when the government, you know, begins to fall and we're just seeing the you know, the pre sort of the prefigurement of it right now, what is right. what is it gonna look like later on? It's probably gonna get much, much worse is my is my guess. I mean it's just it's it can only go down, so to speak. Yeah, because by this time in the other series, they're all atomized. Um, like there is no central authority. You've got a random soldier to managed to survive, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Well, now the governor character that's in the other now he had he had set up a, a sort of a society of his own, hadn't he? Albeit a crude society, but it was a you know, I guess it was well, built on brute, brute force or whatever. Or... It looked. Like apple pie and you know cherry coke, but then you know they would have these fights to the death, and um, they would throw two guys against each other, and then uh, they would bring zombies in to make it even more exciting. <laughs> you know, so it was a blood sport. You know, yeah. uh, more Roman than American. Well, I don't know. Americans we like our violence. Um, yeah, we we like football. You know, NFL right. football is pretty. I mean, really, it's just savagery that's sort of you know, it's barely it's barely even got any veneer of civilization on it, really. Mm-hmm. This will, I'm sure, make our fans of NFL really angry. And, and there's <laughs> there's actually a, a film coming out if you like that kind of thing. Supposedly a Will Smith film that's about to come out that's going to just excoriate the NFL apparently. Oh, yeah. He already did a zombie apocalypse. Although I think those were kind of vampire zombies. Yeah, yeah, it's that that you know re sort of redo or remix of the the old I Am Legend film. Right, Last Man on Earth scene. Right. Although he found a little group that he could help cure, but he wound up dying. anyway. Um, our zombies are more pure zombies. Um, well, have you found out yet, Quinn, whether any of your friends are watching the show or are they anybody's talking about it yet? Or? A few of them are, um, and I've been enjoying uh, getting their take on it so far. Everybody likes it. I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about it so far. 
So that's good. I'm really happy about that. I hope that I can uh, talk to more people about it and convince everybody to watch it. Get your buddies on board. And it'll be just right because school will be starting next weekend. <laughs> uh, well, I was wondering that. Yeah, people would do like watch parties. <laughs> If they were doing, if they were do watch parties or something, you know, and a bunch of people show up at somebody's apartment or their dorm and say ten or twelve people watching the show or whatever. Mhm. We've done that with some things before, and we may start doing that once once school starts up. We might start doing that with Fear the Walking Dead. I think that would be, be fun. fun. There's something fun about watching those things together. Really, when, when I was in the Divinity School, I mean, we would watch. We had this Greek guy who was pretty funny. He's teaching, I think, at a German theological institute now. But we would sit around watching the Clint Eastwood um, Spaghetti Westerns. They did a they did a Clint Eastwood festival, so they ran the three in the trilogy of The Man with No Name, you know, the Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But mm-hmm. then they ran a bunch of his other films as well, like uh, Hang Em High and Two, Mule, Two Mules for Sister Sarah and all those. And so we would sit around watching Clint Eastwood flicks, you know, just a bunch of us Divinity School students, and there probably were five or six of us watching them together. Yeah. It's fun to watch them together because people start making commentary, and some of the commentary sometimes can be pretty funny. But we do have a party take notes, and then you can talk about what people say. Audience reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I know with, uh, like, um, oh, uh, Game of Thrones, people actually videotape themselves watching it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is cool when you get to the red wedding scene or something like that. People get That's almost stuff. like Mystery Science Theater 3000, except you've got a much, much more serious subject matter on. Yeah. Well, you know, there's another fearless show. Like, at the end of the first season, they kill off the main hero, Ned Stark, you know, Watcher of the North, and he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my goodness! Because I had not read the book for that series either. For what's that now? I knew this was going to be serious. Mm-hmm. For Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah. My oldest son has read them. He recommends them highly, but I waited for the videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, there seems to be from this series. If you watch in Kirk. Kirkman, I guess is his name, but anyhow, the, the the creator is the executive producer. He has retained a large measure of creative control on these things. So I, I would I would argue that's a big reason why the quality has stayed so high. I mean, he's, you know, it's in other words, they they, they did have to sort of transmute it, you know, or transform it from the comic book slash graphic novel medium to TV. But still, it's it, it's very recognizable from what everybody's saying. Well, sometimes you get into sophomore balloons where. Person had this great insight and idea, kind of runs out. But he had been doing this for years and years before they started the series, even. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would when I was still buying comics much much more regularly than now because they got so expensive. But I was buying those things, and you would see for the listeners that that buy comics. Uh, and they go through Diamond uh, distributors to get their you know comics at their local shop. I mean, I would see these big ads for you know for Walking Dead very frequently in those things, and I mean, it was really there were people following that thing like it was the best thing next to sliced bread. I mean, really, it was just really, really. I hate to say rabid, but they were rabid fans, so to speak, <laughs> or maybe insatiable fans is, is also another bad way to put it. But they really were. I mean, they were every every month they would you know pick stuff over at the comic shop in Monroe and pick up their copies. Yeah. So it had a loyal following. Well, it certainly has a big following on TV now as well. And, um, 
There's those of us who never go in a comic book shop uh, that have gotten into this. Were you reading the comic, book, uh, comic books, Quinn? Did you ever read those? or? I actually didn't, unfortunately. Um, I actually didn't know that it had um, originated as a comic series first. So now that I know that it's a comic series, I really want to get my hands on it and actually read it sometime. I think it'd be really nice. But there's probably collected editions out there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and watch the series as well, the other series. Um, yeah. <laughs> other, you know, um, I still I still don't think they'll do a whole lot of explaining exactly what this disease is. But I do think we'll get a good insight into how they envision civilization collapsing. I thought the kid had a great analysis. You know, first to go for the groceries, water, they'll get the mm-hmm. drugs, they'll get firearms, they'll get tobacco, you know, all of this, you know. What, mm. are, what are the things you're going to buy when you aren't going to be able to buy anything anymore? Right. Oh, and um, something that I didn't even, I forgot about until just now, um, there's a really brief scene where you see, like, uh, this black woman trying to go into a store to buy things Officer says, "You know, no, it's closed. You can't come in here." No, I did not see that. You see the police officer just putting cases and cases of bottled water into his trunk. Oh, I did see that. I missed yeah. that. But you know, there was this famous thing in Ferguson last year where um, this journalist was in a McDonald's because they had electricity and Wi-Fi. Yeah. He was trying to upload his article. And the cops came in and just said, you've got to leave. But for no reason. The McDonald's didn't want to close. Yeah. Uh, they just rounded him up and arrested him. Um, thank you, you too. They, they uh, rounded him up and arrested him and, and kind of got egg on their face later. Yeah. It's like this um, kind of shoot first and ask questions later kind of mentality. And mm-hmm. I I think, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, that's been a lot of what's behind the loss of uh, people who are being willing to accept at face value what they're told by the authorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can hear what you said, what your story is at this event, and then I look at it, you know, because I can watch TV just as well as the next person. Um, you know, who was it? Um, Samir Wright? Yeah. The original report was that he was waving, brandishing, brandishing a weapon. Right, right. Twenty-two-year-old man. Right. Uh, and the police told him three times, three times, to drop his, uh, drop his weapon. And what you see is a little kid. Right. You see a preteen. Yeah. Yeah, eleven-year-old playing at a table, uh, minding his own business. There's nobody to brandish at. He's not yeah. brandishing. He's just kind of fiddling around on the table with it. You know, like spinning it and whatnot. Right. Um, and the police roll up and within two seconds. seconds it's two, uh, I think it's two seconds. They're, they're come out guns blazing like it's, I mean, really, they, they act as though they're living in a Western, like in a Western oh, yeah, film, which itself is fiction. The, the car had not stopped before the guy on the passenger side had rolled out onto the ground and shot the kid. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you compare the story to what you're seeing, mm-hmm. it does not add up. And it takes a lot of self, you know, self-deception to to make that come out any other way than 
Oh, this is a, you know, a, you know, some terrible act of injustice to that kid. And by the way, that state that got shot in Missouri, is that right? What's that now? Was, what state was he in? Missouri? Ohio? I think Ohio, yeah. Okay, Ohio. I want to say in Cleveland, maybe, or Cincinnati. I think it was in Cleveland. I, I can't remember, but I, I believe it was in Ohio, yeah. So the good, you know, representatives and governor of that state have decided to make it an open carry state. So even if that were a real gun, even if he were 20 years old, he would have a perfect right under their law to carry it around. But it's just like that law does not apply to black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in our country, that's for white people, and we're going to shoot you if you try to exercise that right. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, I've got a nine-year-old, hey, almost nine, he's eight right now. So I was cleaning up my house, and um, I got to the foyer of the apartment. It's an apartment, actually. And there was a gun on the floor. And uh, I, Like a real gun or a toy gun? Well, it looked real, but I picked Sit down and picked it up, and it was a toy gun for one of our neighbor's kids upstairs. They're like, this summer there were like four or five of them that ran together, and they had, I guess, brought it to the house and left it. Um, but, you know, they're they're all about the same age, about eight, nine years old. And um, my son, who's white, could run around outside with that gun. Those kids from upstairs could, but we've got a next-door neighbor who's African-American. I'm sure that his parents would tell him, no way are you going out mm-hmm. with that gun mm-hmm. in Parish, Louisiana. Well, uh, I told you about the about being stopped by the police that night. You know, a whole right. bunch of Bar- Barneys stopped me, as in Barney Fife. Well, you were carrying a club, weren't you? I was carrying, yeah. I was, yeah oh, well, they got a call that, quote, there was a mad person walking around carrying a crowbar. And I said, and I asked the guy, uh, who was quite the hayseed, and I said, does this look like a crowbar to you? I said, this is a broke off, it was a broom handle or mop handle to protect me from dogs, which rove the neighborhood at will. They don't They don't enforce the leash laws, and on top of that, the neighbors don't keep up their own dogs, and yet Ruston has a leash law. So they're failing on the on the side of the, the neighbors and on the side of the enforcement officers. But at and 9 said, o'clock at night, it gets transmuted into a cudgel. Sure. Sure, exactly. Well, when I told the guy, I said, well, when I told some people afterward, I said, if I had been, you know, African American or Latino, I can guarantee you that I slammed me against that car, and about four officers was. Well, let me back up. Four cars showed up, and five or six officers hopped out. Oh man, that, that was that was way overkill. But again, if I had been the wrong ethnicity, they would have beat me up probably, and God knows, might have even killed me. Or, or shot you, right? Absolutely. That certainly happens to me, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. I see we've been going for about an hour. Do you have any final thoughts? What about next week, Quinn? <laughs> well, next week we don't have an episode. but Oh, that's right. Could... It's two weeks from now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we could get a guest on, we might talk about the process of body decay or something. What happens <laughs> to somebody after they die? Talk about a medic- mm-hmm. Talk with a medical examiner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm really excited for the next episode. I think that, like I said earlier, everything's going to start ramping up really, really intensely. I'm really excited right. to see where it takes us. Right, because if the first week was maybe a 10, that's a definitely a 30, you know, as far as the... Mm-hmm. And it points more than that. Like when the zombie principal is trying to eat... Um, 
you know, the woman. Oh, Tobias. Or the, yeah, yeah, Tobias and the um, the well, Kim. Uh, yeah. Kim's the, the actress's name. Um, but um, anyway, that was you know because the kid brought out his little you know steak knife from the house and it didn't do yeah. squat, you know, <laughs> it, which we knew it wasn't going to do squat. He needs a machete or something. Yeah, somebody get this kid a scimitar or something. I was pretty sure he was going to die just right then and there because yeah. he's, he's got, you know, he's got the target on him. And I think the reason he's so hyper aware of what's going on is because he knows he's easy pickings. Like, um, you know, he knows he's not going to be the guy who can throw a javelin and, you know, split their head. What are the ones called on Star Trek on the original series with um – Shatner and Nimoy were there. Oh, the red shirt. The red shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah he's a red shirt, except that he he's is self-aware. He's a first. Red shirt, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So if he makes it a few more weeks, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Me too. I think that he's going to be a character that kind of, you really think that he's like not going to make it, but like somehow by like a deus ex machina or something, he's just going to survive the whole thing pretty much. Well, I hope that happens. They have those characters in the other series as well, you know, like the priest totally inept at everything he does, but somehow has managed not to get killed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people come up with various strategies for survival. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some are super tough, you know, like awesome mountain people that, you know, can, <laughs> can shoot a squirrel with a... With a with a bow and arrow and then skin it and know what, you know, I wouldn't know how to shoot it, much less how to prepare it, but they know all that. Yeah. So they can, you know, they they get by, but, you know, then there are the rest of them that have to figure out some kind of zombie strategy, you know, zombie yeah. survival strategy. So I'll be interested to see if he's able to do that. He seems smart enough where if he can win by his wits, or if he can survive by his wits right now, he might could extend that into the future. Mm-hmm. Right. It'll be interesting to see how everybody is going to deal with that, how everybody's going to sort of formulate their own zombie strategy. <laughs> <laughs> you, too, can survive the zombie apocalypse. Well, we show you how. <laughs> call, this famous, n- call this number. There's a famous technical document that got posted in a Florida um, university, how to survive, you know, what you know, it was a what to do in case of at the university, like in case of fire, in case somebody you know shoots a gun, you know, in case there's a bad disease. So somebody had done up in case of zombies, and uh, it had a list of do's and don'ts and how to kill the zombie and you know don't let the zombie bite you and you know, it was all tongue in cheek but well done from a technical writing standpoint. I used to use it as a example in my classes at times. <laughs> I but, tried you know, to use one of those about how to flay a rat, and it was it was a Monty Python. Well, it was a Monty Python kind of a deal. I don't know if it really yeah. was literally, but it was it was their sort of humor. And our then department chairs, you you know who who it was, Bruce got rather offended by that. But I thought it was a well, it, was, it was real gallows humor, you know. <laughs> and it was it was a process essay, is what it was. But it was how to yeah. how to flay a rat or how to skin a rat or something. Yeah, I think I the zombie. Uh, zombie <laughs> I don't want to talk about rats. <laughs> All right, well, for the, here, the not walking, excuse me, for 
Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast. I'm Bruce McGee. I'm Steve Payne. I'm Quinn Warner. And we want to invite you back uh, for our next episode when we discuss more about zombies. <laughs> well, bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.